Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Spirit Guide Society podcast, we had the master distiller. That's right, master distiller, Greg Glass from Jura Single Malt. Tiny island of Jura, southwestern Scotland. What? He brought in the 10-year, the 7-wood, which is a completely unique whiskey, nothing else like it I've ever tasted before, and then the 18-year, and then, whoa, where'd this little guy come from? 21-year-old Jura? Oh my, this must be from your private stash because we don't have it here in SoCal. Check it out. Tell your friends, Spirit Guy Society Podcast, if they want to learn more about the spirits that they love. Always remember to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means... Don't get too drunk and complain to me about your hangover. I like the comments, but you know what? Drink wisely. Cheers. Lanja. Cheers to you. The big single malt. When I was in China, I was like, why is Isle of Jura everywhere here? You guys working with the Chinese mafia? You're on the record right now, so don't say anything that could get you or members of your family. <laughs> I'll let you say stuff. All right. Yeah. I'm not afraid of the Chinese mafia. <laughs> How did they kill me so quickly? It is really a special occasion when we get a master distiller in the house, and much less someone who's come all the way from the Isle of Jura in Scotland. How did you get into the whiskey business? Uh, through lots of different means. I, I grew up on the Highlands. My first job was uh, working at a distillery. And my last job will be working at a distillery. Here's to that. <laughs> oh, now now we're toasting already. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, did you study like organic chemistry in Scotland? Or how did you get into it? Or maybe some people just start off like I was working at the plant. And then I mm-hmm. became like the you know, the plant manager, and then one thing led to another, and next thing is I'm master stiller. So there's many ways to get to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my um, uh, the way I started out was uh, I wanted to go through the traditional route of distillery management uh, through working in the warehousing, working up to mashman, um, brewer, uh, distiller, through to... Uh, through to distillery management, but I got an opportunity to work for a small company, um, a small startup company when I was younger, and um, grew up through different sort of, uh, if you like, apprenticeships up through uh, whiskey making um, at that point. So, What were some of the other distilleries where you worked? Um, so I'd, uh, uh, my formative years were with uh, Compass Box. Oh, wow. um, so I, I worked there for close to, to 12 years. But um, wow. So working with John England? Uh, John Glazer. John yeah. Glazer, okay. Yeah. And, um, and, and my, my bad. Um, and helping him figure out his blends? Yeah, so I, I started out there uh, doing sales, marketing. I was um, the sample room uh, cleaner. As well, <laughs> glamorous job. So yeah. sweeping and like uh, people were falling over, you'd have to pick them up and yeah, that that sort of stuff. And using samples uh, to get off the stubborn stains, um, all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, so I was uh, very lucky to start off with a startup company. And uh, about three years ago, I started with a, a young chap called um, uh, Richard Patterson. Mm-hmm. Um, young so, chap, yeah. 
No one's uh, ever he's, heard he's of still, Richard Patterson. I think he's getting younger by the day. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I uh, I started working with him and uh, um, also known uh, as the Nose, right? Yeah, the, the Nose, the, the Nose. So I'm probably the the luckiest guy in the industry. Uh, to so work with he's those. he's mentored some serious people who are now master seals. You're not the only person who kind of like got to learn under Richard, right? There's like lots of people, I think. That yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's um, very few people who've had um, uh, sort of a concentrated amount of time with, uh, with, with Richard. So there's in the blending team at uh, White Mackay, there's Richard, myself, but also a key person, uh, Mags or Margaret uh, Nichols, who is really the brains of the operation. So, so Richard and I are the sort of arty, farty, creative sort of guys about it. But um, there's a team of three of us who wow. um, help to, to make uh, what I hope is uh, fantastic uh, whiskies for for various people uh, for the distilleries that we have. Wow! Yeah. And so you just run Isle of Jura, or what else? Uh, so there, there's um, uh, Jura Single Malt, which mm-hmm. is really my passion, my my absolute love. Um, but also uh, we have various distilleries. So we have uh, Feta Cairn. We have the Dalmore. I've been to Feta Cairn. Um, that's a, yeah. that's the like unicorn. Is that the one that's got the, <laughs> the unicorn painted on the distillery? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, you guys don't really do public tours, though, right? No, we've started to do it. So, Fetikaren, we're actually starting to promote it a little bit more. And it's a wonderful distillery. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's so beautiful. Yeah, Jura is so unique. Fetikaren's unique. The Dalmore is unique. Invergordon, our grain distillery, is unique. It was uh, built in the 1960s, but in itself uh, brilliant. And Tamnavillan are the, the five distilleries that we have. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, to have a unicorn, it's it's great. I think we're probably going to make some unicorn leather uh, notepads or something like that in the future. That's terrible. I think you should just, like, open up an amusement park and let kids ride the unicorns around. Hey, it's much Great better idea. than killing them and turning them into notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my opinion. Yeah. Somebody call PETA on me, please. Now, uh, I don't think PETA has them as a registered species, but they should. Uh, so, Jura Single Malt. Now, interestingly, you guys aren't super well-known in the United States. Mm. But when I was traveling abroad, in, especially in Southeast Asia, I saw you guys in a lot of places. How has that happened? How do you become like a hit in China as a single malt from Scotland? Yeah, I mean it's it's really strange. Uh, some markets have a particular affinity to particular brands, and that might be through some of the uh, labeling or stories that we have. So, I mean that's uh, it's fantastic. Uh, so the the island itself, we've got over just over two hundred people. Uh, on the on whole the island. island, yeah, and you yeah. employ about a quarter of those people, or something. Yeah, or? it's about uh, ten to fifteen percent of the island at any one time, uh, directly, so indirectly, um, quite quite a bit more. But wow. um, yeah, but for for me, it's um, having grown up in a sort of small rural part of uh, of Scotland is for someone to say, "I love Jura whiskey." Um, do you know where it comes from? Well, it's from the island of Jura. 
and where is that? And then it starts a whole free flow of ideas. It's not a, um, you know, it's not a mass market uh, product. It's from a particular community, which right. is fantastic, you know? Yeah, it's so true. And so you grew up in the Highlands, mm-hmm. but the Isle of Jura is southwestern Scotland, right? Yeah, yeah. So and if you go from Glasgow, you go almost directly uh, west, and the furthest west you get to is about New York. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a little island. Give us a sense of what it's like to go to work on the Isle of Jura. Like, how do you get there? Do you have to take a ferry there? Or how, how does it work? I mean, and how small is it? And like, is there like one cabbie? Like, give us a sense of place. Mm. So, so um, again, about 200 people, um, around five to 6,000 deer on the island. Wow. Um, there's one road, uh, there's one shop, there's a pub as well so obviously we have to be very diplomatic as distillery managers or whiskey makers just to make sure the the guys are all on board so we can go out for a pint on right, a Friday night or <laughs> when you have visitors to the distillery where else yeah. are they going to go but like the exactly. distillery and that pub but it's 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 a beautiful place i mean um uh, the the reason that jura re-establish itself so we were founded in 1810 but the distillery's gone up and down in fortunes over the years but as many uh, distilleries in scotland yeah absolutely in the 1950s early 60s we re-established the distillery to try and keep employment on the island and um uh, again it's it's a focal point for uh, the community and um maintaining people on the island hopefully for for generations to come so it's uh you know quite a big thing that is a big thing what's the name of the pub oh the pub the, the pub. pub the pub <laughs> the pub they just call it the it's, pub it's, it's it's the pub i mean oh it's the hotel Very and creative. the pub but <laughs> but it's the pub and it, i mean it's it's brilliant uh the um, up until very recently, the only signal you could get for your cell phone was right next to the uh, distillery office. So you like the get one router in the whole country. Exactly. What? So you get a whole oh, sway of people going out there to make phone calls to say, "Sorry, I'm going to be late tonight." That's hilarious. And it, do you have? Is there a way to get there on the land? Is there a little spit of earth, or you no. have to ferry there? No, it's a, it's a, it's an independent island of its mm-hmm. own uh, from uh, the island of Isla. Mm-hmm. It's around about four minute ferry mm-hmm. uh, to get there. So you can either go there on a pe- uh, passenger ferry or a rib, uh, or you can go over uh, with a car uh, or a really drunken swim. Swathe yourself in Vaseline exactly. and go hard. You know what? That sounds like a date. Wow, all right, all right. I think it can be done. So what would you describe the DNA DNA of Jura Single Malt as being? Like you and Richard and Mags are sitting down and trying to create different flavor profiles for the different brands. Mm. What do you have in mind? Like uh, Dalmar has a very specific flavor profile. What is the mission with Jura? What do you think is really the defining characteristics of the flavor so, profile? Well, this is it. It's the... Spirit. You have some, yep. a bottle of new make here. Yeah, yeah. So this is um, this is uh, the the new make spirit straight off the still. For for me, it's fresh, citrusy, lemony. I get a um, little lime. 
Yeah, lemon, smells like lime. To me. I, I love to use our new make spirit with a bit of fresh mint and some limoncello. You blend them together, you create um, key lime pie. Wow. You know, just beautiful freshness. So the majority of uh, the, the distillate that we make is this new make spirit. Um, and um, for about two to three weeks of the year, we produce a um, peated spirit as well, um, which is a very clean sort of wood smoke character that we produce. So it's not uh, your typical or as many people would see as typical Isla uh, style of smokiness, which is that earthy, um, peaty notes. It's more of a clean wood smoke characteristic. So what we do with all of our juras is we mature the unpeated section and we mature the peated section. At the end of the process, we combine the unpeated with the peated mature spirit to create our end recipe. Um, so so you like vatting them together? Yeah, so okay. we vat them together. And often what we do is I, um, I love to... Uh, combine our whiskies and then recask them just to allow for an equilibrium to come by mm-hmm. and uh, c- combining the flavors. Um, but what I use the peated element for is almost like uh, seasoning, like salt and pepper. Right. So what you're doing is you're you're layering in the salt and pepper, not to add in salt and pepper flavor. It's actually to enhance. The, the flavors that are already beating. there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in Scotland, we have beautiful um, uh, seafood, particularly on uh, the island of Jura. Um, and uh, all we do is we cook the seafood and either add a bit of whiskey on top or salt and pepper. I prefer both. That sounds delicious. What is the big seafood there? What do you guys eat? Uh, scallops. Scallops? Scallops are, are beautiful. Um, but we, uh, yeah, we have everything you'd uh, think of. In Scotland, we're exporting our, our seafood to uh, Spain, Italy, Paris, we all the best the we, get, we get seafood yeah. from Scotland here, exactly. too, for sure. For so. sure. Okay, so what... This is something that I've wondered about a lot and talked about with different folks. Now, there's two ways that a smoky flavor can exert itself in a whiskey, right? You've got the flavors that come from the peening of the grain. But then there's also possible on these island distilleries that you're using groundwater in your fermentation, which could be peaty, right? Like there mm-hmm. is, is possible to have like tap water essentially that's peaty. Mm-hmm. And if you put that into the fermentation, it's reasonable to assume that some of those flavors are going to make it through the distillation. And... So then you also have a smoky aspect in a flavor profile that could come from the water source, Mm -hmm. not from the peating of the grain. Is that any of those things happening with the Jura single malt? Yeah, absolutely. The the water source is very important. And it's sort of twofold. There's one which would be the direct flavor influence that you get from it, but also what the properties of that water are in terms of processing as well so you've got a a esoteric sort of flavor aspect to it but also you've got um what the practicalities are in terms of process water um so all of those do have an influence in the flavor profile i think it's sometimes overstated 
the influence of water in terms of the peatiness or sure. flavor aspects versus some of the other elements. So, for example, a lot of people talk about um, peatiness coming from the water, whereas in actual fact, it's mainly from if it's uh, the barley's been peat smoked, for mm -hmm. example, or if it's been in a peated cask, for example. So there's a lot of those other variables that are coming through there. Is it possible for there to be enough peatiness in the groundwater that the barley is grown in that it would actually impart a little bit of flavor in the grass? That, there will be an element of that, but most of the peat, uh, sorry, most of the barley would not necessarily be grown in peated conditions. Um, it's not necessarily the best. Uh, it's too, too wet, grown. probably. Yeah, yeah for, for yields. Because a peat bog is like yeah. not for but, growing but, grass. But there's an element of all those things. So I think some people try and simplify whiskey making by saying the peat only comes from that aspect and there's a lot of stuff that we don't know right um and why the flavors come about um that's the romantic aspect of it all exactly. is that there's, it's, there's it's a the magic. certain sense of like mystery to it yeah. in which you have to embrace that that's nature is still mysterious mm -hmm. to us and, and science is is a exploration of that mystery but yeah. the mystery is much bigger than the science um Let's taste this new make just for yeah. the hell of it. Yeah. Cheers, Greg. Yeah, Thank you for coming in. This is great. <laughs> oh, so it's very vegetal too. Mm -hmm. It's got this really like unctuous, like strong grassy note right at the top. But also like almost like an umami thing happening here, like um, maybe a ham kind of thing. Are you guys getting this barley from the Isle of Jura or where do you – do you have a specific malting house you guys are buying so, from? Uh, so we take it from the island – uh, sorry, from the mainland, um, uh, we take the barley from, and also when we are doing our peated expressions, uh, that's typically from the northeast, which promotes that cleaner smoke characteristic as opposed to sort of an earthy, smoky characteristic. Um, so, uh, Jura, there's not really barley grown there. Uh, so, those damn deer eat it all the time, right? 5,000 deer. Yeah. That's a lot of deer. Probably, <laughs> there's no grass anywhere. It's very difficult to find a lot of vegetation <laughs> that way <laughs> that the deer haven't eaten. Yeah. Do you, does White Mackay have their own, like, barley broker or their own barley fields that they actually harvest from just for all of their products? Yeah. So, How does so it work? Um, we Excuse use... Um, uh, for the barley that we're using for the distilleries, we can go right the way from using brokers, from um, uh, local supplies to single fields. So we go across the board uh, on that. That new make is super fruity. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, it does have like a mint and a citrus thing yeah. going on. Wow, very refined. Um, and this is just a sample that you brought straight off the still. Yeah. yeah. And what is the first expression that we're going to try from the line So tonight? let's try our 10-year-old. I always love to taste the new make. I'm always astounded by it. Like, it's such an interesting connection to make to be able to try the new make and then mm. the aged spirits. You guys are, for this 10-year, aging this in 10-year-old... Use bourbon casks? Yeah, so we predominantly use first of all ex-bourbon casks for the expressions that we're coming out with. Um, and in this case, we're using American oak, ex-bourbon, and then combining that with um, 
ex-bourbon casks that have then been finished in uh, sherry for a period of anywhere between two and sometimes five years uh, in terms of that finishing. So it's a combination of the, the two components. Do they have uh, sherry barrel brokers in Scotland? Like, can you can you buy, like, go to, like, a, a broker the same way that you're buying your grain and, like, be like, I need a bunch of sherry barrels. Yeah. Make it happen. And yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, the majority of the sherry casks that we're buying are direct from bodegas. Um, so what we do is we go out and select either individual casks or parcels um, out in, in Hareth. Um, and on occasion, we will use brokers. So a, a, a great broker that we use is... Um, uh, called uh, Speyside Cooperage. Um, they're great in terms of uh, selecting out the best quality casks for us, but at the end of the day, both uh, myself and Richard will select them individually, make sure they're uh, fit for purpose before we fill them. And Richard yeah. Patterson is one of those people who helped popularize the like kind of very explicit use of really good yeah. sherry casks. Yeah. And so he probably has relationships that go way back in Hareth, right? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, a... a He's over 50 years in the industry and, um, you know, uh, I don't know, when was the first time that you sort of fell in love with whiskey? Uh, probably when he came in here. He was one of our first whiskey society meetings ever. Right. And he came in and was like slinging whiskey all over the walls and carpet <laughs> and the whole room and everyone was completely shocked and astounded. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's a living legend. Mm. He's a, a, a gift to the world in terms of what he brings in terms of imagination in mm. whiskey, you know? Yeah, which is the same for me. I mean, I'm a whiskey maker in my own right, but he is a total legend in terms of being able to popularize what we're doing as whiskey makers and and do that sort of stuff. But what for me personally as a, as a whiskey maker, I was really surprised the first time that I really started working with him was the attention to detail, the fact that he was going out and selecting, I want that cask, not that cask. Oh, wow. You know? So Super specific. A, and again, me talking as a whiskey geek here, yeah. um, you know, it's a, a totally different level of what you'd expect um, I guess what would be a, a, a corporate level person in in, in an industry, but, but he's um, t totally attention to detail, a perfectionist, you know. Um, and that's great to hear that he's been over here throwing whiskey. At you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was lucky. It was early on and it changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never Fantastic. washed my clothes. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. This is the 10 years, so... Wow. Now, this smells very different from the new make. So, intense caramel notes. And, like, uh, I'm getting, like, a nuttiness in here, too. Like a cashew. Still a little bit of this, like, hammy thing and some berry notes in here. Wow, what is what is the tenure to you? What what are you guys trying to like roll people into the world of Jura single malt with yeah. here with this ten year old uh, expression? Um, for me, it's got the versatility to uh, reach a lot of people, but people who like that sort of nutty, almost like tapasy sort of feel to it. There's um, something that's really appealing. There's waxiness. Mm. There's um, yeah. No, the the nutty sweet richness. 
I got a, a beautiful, like, Baker. bitter chocolate on the finish, too. Yeah. Like, Baker's chocolate. Very, like, cocoa, you know, not sweetened. Very, very beautiful. Oh, and phenomenal. you, I'm, I'm asking the wrong person, and Andre went out to have a, a beer in the main bar. But I'm thinking that this is going to run me at the local liquor store. Do you know what the 10-year... It's going to so run. That's terrible because she's like, yeah, sure, I know what liquor prices are in Los Angeles because yeah, I live in Scotland. I, I should know. Um, I'm thinking it's probably about $40, $45, something on those We're lines. not going to quote you on that. And so yeah, all you no. listeners out there, you can't just go demanding $45 bottles of single malt <laughs> from Jura. He, he's right, though. That is? Oh. Yeah. Andrew's fact-checking it. Way to go. So Lucky that's guess. Beautiful. And so... <laughs> Use bourbon casks, first fill used bourbon casks, and yep. then some of those casks have also had sherry in them for a period of time. Yeah. What is this second mark here? So the second one is our Jura 7 wood. Um, so it's called 7 wood because we're using um, American oak. That's our first wood. And then the um, other six are six different French oaks. Um, what? So from Six different, different French oaks, yeah. meaning different wines have been stored in them or no. s- varietals, sub-varietals of Quercus Alba or Quercus Roja? Yeah, uh, so uh, we've got um, uh, Quercus Alba, which is our American oak, and then we've got six different French oaks from different forests that bring in different flavors. Wow, I um, didn't even know that was possible. Uh, it's a split between two different... Um, Spe- a subspecies of oak, uh, Quercus robur and uh, Quercus uh, petrea, or sessile ah, oak. Okay. So we've got two European oaks as well as the um, um, the American oak. Um, so this one... Wow, this is beautiful. There's a <laughs> lot. There's some intense... There's like some really intense fruitiness in here, like, like almost like a cranberry... Like under, there's still that nuttiness that's yeah. in the tin here, but also like leather and cranberry. Am I crazy? And then yeah, you still can smell that that chocolate in there as well, that cocoa. Are you good to do a like speed sampling of yeah, the components that make up this? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. You have some of the sep- you've separated yeah, so out some of the seven woods. Yeah, so it's uh, sort of a deconstruction of uh, what what we use there. So, I mean, what I love about um, Seven Wood is it's fresh, it's vibrant, tropical fruit wow. characteristics, peach juice, um, uh, pineapple, mango, spiced guava. Um, it's got like so some kind of chili it. thing. There's something spicy going on here too, yeah. like a really distinct spice, like a, like a chili, like a arbol chili, something that's like, mm. a, like a crushed red chili, like... It's nice. So, so the beauty of uh, virgin oak and new oak is you get a lovely spiciness to it. Um, if you bottle it too immaturely, you'll um, have too much spice characteristic, which will hide the distillery character. But for me, it's about balance and harmony. So seven would I want to balance out all the new oaks that we're using, but retain the beauty of the the distillery so that first one that you're tasting here is um straight american oak um so this is a second full cask which is around um 10 11 years old um so that's straight up um bourbon 
Uh, hang on, I've got this in the wrong order. Oh, that's here, got grip. That's got some serious grip to it. It's like super spicy. And then you've got here. This is the Vosges oak. Uh, so this is one of the uh, six French oaks that we're using for seven wood. Um, oh yeah, this is like like grilled tomato and pepper. This first one's really spicy and. Oh, that's amazing. Totally shows you how it'd be a st very strong blending element because it has such a distinction to yep. it, you know? That's actually a really good point because there's a lot of people who, um, when you're talking about single malts, it's all about it's single, it's that age, it's this, that, and the other thing. But very few people actually pick up it's a blending element. You know, always sing the craft in making a single malt, a cognac, or 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 whatever is, uh, or making wine is. It's about combining these unique flavors, um, and nobody needs to know that there's blending that's behind it. But that's really the true heart of what makes a, uh, in my opinion, a, a a great product. Is right, it's the heart and the art. You have to blend even for a single malt. You still have to blend the barrels in house to maintain the consistency of the flavor profile which each with each bottling mm. because you want your deliveries to be consistent always. If people have a sense of like the 10-year being their favorite whiskey, it needs to be pretty similar box-to-box, case-to-case, mm. going out the door to the liquor store so that that person feels you know, like they know what they're going to buy when mm. they lay down their money, you know? Yeah. They know what they're getting. So what's the second thing I'm trying so, to get into So this here? is the, the Vosges Oak. Um, so this is one of Whoa. the... So this particular Whoa, example... Whoa, that is crazy. It's like <laughs> stewed fruit and like... What the heck's going on there? That is really dark, like black walnut. Like, what is going on in there? Like It's like stewed prunes or something. Do you want a job? <laughs> I think the commute would be kind of tough. Yeah. But I, I, I'll consider the offer. Um, <laughs> do I get to hang out with the unicorns? Absolutely. Yeah. Put me yeah. up at Feder Federcane. Uh, it's not. I think I would. I'd have a hard time out there. It's pretty rural. Um, yeah. It's. it's does Federcane even? Do they have a pub? It's they pretty do. Much, yeah. The Ramsey there, Arms. It's. Uh, yeah. All yeah, right. It's pretty cool. It's pretty. Pretty rural out there, right? Like, yeah. there's not much happening. I'm awesome. I'm, I'm a little bit spoiled by the city. I don't know how I'd get along. <laughs> so, this we'll is try really it. interesting, though. Wow. Another really, it's deep and colorful, like, um, you know, purple tones and, and really earthy. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the next one we'll try is the, um, is the Limousin oak. So, this is Quercus Robur. And I hear you love your wood and your cellular structure of wood and stuff like that. I like celery. What? What are we talking yeah. about? <laughs> I like my wood. Yeah. There, I said it. What does that mean? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of Cuddy Magoo happening here. We're, he's bringing me like, these are like cask samples. They're, you don't water down these things, do you? Not at all. Whoa, so. this is super fruity. When you go back to the, the Vosges, compared to that, even just on the nose, you'll well, this is like a lot. It's got so much going on. There's like, this is a brothy element. It almost smells like uh, enchiladas or something. There's like this like 
spicy, earthy, chili thing going on in here. There's wow, earthiness. Um, there's some more spice notes. Mm. Um, what you're getting here is Quercus Alba, Quercus Petrea, and then Quercus Robur. Um, three different subspecies of oak that you get. There's over 600 types of uh, of oak in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. Petrea, are, does that mean like in Latin, like the father of the... Yeah. That's yeah. the father oak then? I'm... I never took Latin, but I think that's what that means. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, so Quercus robur um, is known as uh, common oak or English oak or Spanish oak. And so it then goes out to there in different sort of uh, different countries. And for, for us, what's important is knowing the conditions of growing the age of the species and the extractives that we can get. So we do a lot of analysis on the individual oaks, how the oak is or the wood is itself, as well as monitoring it over time, just to build up the knowledge base for um, what we're doing in the spirits world. And so in your sampling room where you guys are bottling, you've got like your gastrospectrochromograph and you're looking at kind of like the pictures of the flavor profiles for each of these different variants of oaks? Yep. So we, we do analysis both internally and externally, and we then compare those together, both the properties of the wood itself and then how the liquid is maturing over time. And um, the most important thing is looking at the flavor properties that come out of that, um, but also looking at the um, uh if you like the chemistry behind it, uh, but in, well. I mean, in an, in a, a more creative kind of language frame, mm -hmm. those are the like the paints that are on your painter's palette that yep. you then create your little picture with. Mm -hmm. You you have these different kind of shades and tones that you can then create your blend with. Even though it's still a single malt, it's not a blended yep. whiskey, but it its flavor profile can be controlled greatly by barrel selection. Mm -hmm. Precisely. I mean that that that's it. Uh, for for me, um, whiskey making is both uh, a science, but at the end of the day, you're trying to create a story. You're trying to sort of relay to someone what the heart of the island is. For in my experience of of Jura, what the island is, what we're trying to convey out of that, and you you don't want to lose sight of what the origins are mm -hmm. out of that, but you want to elaborate and create different flavor experiences um, uh, through that, uh, which is important. Which probably actually brings us on really well to the eighteen-year-old. Okay. So, um, so Jura is quite far away from uh, Bordeaux, <laughs> but at the same both, time... Both culturally and in terms of geography? Oh, I don't no, know. I'm, I'm I think kidding. I've spent many a, a time in Bordeaux, and I think we're uh, all so friends. Everyone's <laughs> rural in their own way. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the 18-year-old um, the starts off its life in American Oak and is then... Um, Finished in part uh, with uh, red wine breaks from a, a very famous chateau, um, which uh, even if you torture me, I can't tell you which one that is. But it's um, wow. beautiful, 
Um, I mean, oh, this yeah. is. Uh, I'm getting like black walnut in here, like really dark nutty character. Like yeah, some purple fruit, like plum. Wow, and earthy and like that again. That bitter chocolate that seems to ride through the finish on all of them. That now I'm going to taste it. The Jura Single Malt 18 Year. Mm. Nope, I'm not going to spit that. That's delicious. Wow. <laughs> Whoa, it's got this really like spicy, spicy nut. Thing on the finish there, it's like um, like chili salt on cashews, you know, like a spicy nut mix thing happening, and then it finishes with those nice chocolate finishes. Oh, that is amazing! Now, which is the one that's like the big hit in China? Because I've I've seen you guys. Oh, you had your origins series for a while. What was the? You guys had the. You were doing limited releases. Like this is probably like four years ago, five years ago. You were doing these like really distinct, unique limited releases. Mm -hmm. Were you creating those? Uh, so that was before I started up. But, but um, yeah, uh, all of those older stocks that we're using, um, there's the DNA is always from the distillery. So um, there is a continuity in terms of style that we're creating uh, now and in the future that derives back from from those times but um, no the the uh, origin series was uh, great it was limited um, and we're continuing to do that so you guys are going to bring back the origins or are there is that part of your constant um, range right now? The Origins is still going on? No, um, uh, so what we did was about two years ago we um, sort of reinvigorated the, the range to come out with a, a particular style of whiskey which was a house style that was fresh fruity notes with a little bit of underlying smoky characteristic um, and moving forward we will have some that go heavier peated, lighter peated, or non-peated uh, in the future, but that particular range we're sort of moving forward on. So what are the parts per million in terms of peat on the, the barley that you use for your peated aspect? So it varies. And some years, I mentioned um, some uh, typically we're doing an end of February, or sorry, end of January, early February um, peating, on the, on the malt, uh, some years we've done that, some years we haven't done that, so it can vary between over 40 parts per million down to below 20 parts per million. Um, but for us as whiskey makers, it's dependent on the flavor profile. So phenolics of the um, of the actual barley itself has a relation to what we're doing, but it's more about the uh, flavor profile at the end of the process. So if you take less than 2% of a mature um, peated element, then that's very tiny amounts yeah. of uh, peat notes. Do you guys have peaty groundwater on the Isle of Jura? Uh, we do. Um, and uh, there's some sources where it's less peated. But um, like I was mentioning, the, the peated element in terms of the uh, barley itself, we take in from the, the mainland as well. So there's that variable. 
Yeah. And do you live on the Isle of Jura part of the time while you're running the distillery or no, all the time? Or No, I, so I, um, I am based in Glasgow, so that's oh, okay. where the sample room is. So okay. myself and Richard Patterson, we share a sample room together. Um, Graham Logan is the distillery manager on the island, so day-to-day he's looking after um, uh, the day-to-day running there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm based closer to... Uh, to, to Glasgow, but I travel um, all over Scotland because of all of our distilleries there. And how many hours away from Glasgow is it to the distillery? In so Durham? I prefer to drive. So I'll drive maybe three hours to the ferry, and then I'll take a... Yeah, it, it's good. It's leisurely. <laughs> and, and what's it like on a, a spring day on the Isle of Jura? What is it like there? Is it rain a lot? You said that there's no more grass. The deer ate all the grass. Is it also not that many trees? Is it just kind of like this round little mound with a bunch of deer running yeah, around? Yeah, I mean, there's parcels of trees and, and, and forest there, but um, it's actually, it's relatively mild. So we've actually got a palm tree. You know, I, I, I flew in here my first time to L.A., and I was thinking, oh, how many of these trees can I make into barrels? And uh, they're all palm trees, of course. But um, Palm we've got trees, one palm, palm trees. trees. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was trying to, I was like, what is he saying right now? I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Palm trees, Andrew. He's saying palm trees. I was like, mm, I don't know what a palm tree is. Um, <laughs> but I do know what a palm tree is. So you guys have palm trees there? We've got you a imported those palm things. Tree. Yeah, we've got one outside the uh, outside the distillery. Yeah, you should plant another one and hang a hammock. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Do it. Um, so that eighteen year is exquisite. And is this now part of your constant line? The eighteen is yeah. like you guys are always trying to have this available for yeah. folks. So the the ten uh, year old, the seven wood, and the eighteen year old are uh, constant ones. Um, and uh, you know, we'll every now and again we'll bring out some some new additions, limited releases. This is a twenty one year old that we've got here. Oh my, what do you have there? A 21-year-old Jura single malt? How did that get in here? Hmm, geez. Turn on the bubble machine. Wow, that is amazing. Now, this one, oh, he, he's actually turning on the bubble machine. This is so, a tribute so, to Lawrence Welk. No, this isn't who, what's the bubbles, what's happening right now? So, <laughs> we're waiting for the bubbles to it's come It's going to work. I, I, I'm praying to the, the unicorn spirits out there. Yes, come on, little get, toy thing. You yeah. can do it. So it's cool. It flew all the way from Scotland, so I understand. There, it's there, got there's a lag. flavor that you tasted within some of these uh, whiskies, um, and you have to try and capture one of these bubbles in your mouth and try and guess what flavor it is. I'm I'm going to eat soap. You're you're. Uh. Oh, I just licked my microphone, <laughs> and you blew on my face at the same time. We just got so intimate. We are really, really checking the intersections here. All oh, this is intersectionality is what we're exploring right now. Try, and then lick my yeah. hand. You don't know where my hands have been. I don't know where my hands have been. Um, oh, oh, come on, uh, my little bubble friend. Oh, that's ah, so yeah, close. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're getting oh, now it's out. getting big. Come on. Ah. Okay. Yeah, it's best if you capture it straight in your mouth, though. Uh, uh, oh, God. This is... Uh, uh, uh. 
I get a little bit of the soapiness. Um, yeah. What is the? Uh, what am I looking for? Bubble gum. Is it the bubble so gum it's aspect? It's a particular flavour in uh, seven wood. I mentioned about tropical fruit, um, sort of hard stone. Hard uh, stone fruits. Stone fruits. All right, let's try this again. I'm thinking it's cherry. Peach? Is that what it is? Awesome. It's peach? Peach. Wow, we. Wow. That's great. You peach flavor. Pe peach bubbles. Yeah. Here we are, nipping peach bubbles. No, keep it on. This is yeah. a party. Come on, man. Don't turn down <laughs> the bub machine. Things are just starting to get good. I'm going to take off my shirt. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. That, what, uh, mm, come on, oh, yeah. Is this how people uh, do their peach juice drinking in Scotland, is is it, via yeah, bubbles? This is, um, no juice bars. you know, Just our equivalent to Match.com, so, yeah, it's great. Match.com? Yeah. We're going to, are we on a date right now? Hey. Andrew, what, what's happening right now? All right, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Safe sex. Fantastic. All right, uh. Oh, we're going to try the 21, right? Yeah, oh, right, oh, let's right. try Ooh. that. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> let's not get distracted by I, the bubbles. I love bubbles. It's okay to be distracted by bubbles. Mm. That's good. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to find out what your first experience with Richard was. We did a whiskey society here. <laughs> and I think he was on... I think he was doing some, uh, he was like doing Tales of a Cocktail in New Orleans. Like he right. was in the States doing like, yeah. he's one of those guys who kind of was like breaking down the door for the big whiskey craze. This was like nine or 10 years ago that he right. was, well, we opened Seven Grand 14 years ago. So yeah, I want to say maybe it was 12 years ago even. Right. But uh, he was just kind of like turning people on mm -hmm. the, the, in the reinvigoration of the cocktail craze in America. He was doing things like Tales of the Cocktail, which is a big bartender's convention and spreading the gospel of what a single malt scotch can be, mm. you know, and came in here and, of course, is get sampling like, I don't know, 25-year-old whiskey and nosing it and then to everyone's chagrin, just like slaying it across the floor and telling us how it's like, it's not that precious. It, it's, it's about the experience, you know, yeah. and... Uh, I learned a lot from that because it ultimately is like I, I'm one of those people who the whole point of the bar Jackalope is a, a place where you can learn about whiskey, but the education serves as a, leaven, a leveling field where you learn that the best whiskeys in the world have some of them are expensive, mm. some of them are not, some of them are very affordable. In fact, what Jim Murray's whiskey Bible just chose 1792 foolproof as the best whiskey in the world. Until he announced that, you could probably get a bottle of that at the liquor store for under $30. Yeah. Now it probably just jumped 10 or 15. It, it doubled in price. I tried mm -hmm. to pick up a bottle a couple of days ago. It was like 60 bucks. Yeah, Nine. and that's what happens. But it just shows you that really it's about the experience and, and, and what it means to you in the moment. What are you getting yeah. from the glass of whiskey and not how expensive it is. Not, it's not about prestige. It's about personal moments and yeah. sharing and like experiencing life and kind of relaxing into a deeper sense of yourself and what are you experiencing in this one life that you get to have you know it's a mm -hmm. 
It's so, a transcendent I mean, experience. I mean, it's amazing the place that you got here as well. If you find, so 14 years ago, you established here. Seven grand opened 14 right. years ago. And at that time, downtown Los Angeles was not what it is now by right. any means. We were part of Skid Row and the, the barbacks and bartenders would walk each other to our cars at the end of the night. And mm-hmm. uh, we were kind of an anchor property that hopefully inspired some of the other businesses to get started down here. At that time, there was just vacant buildings and storefronts. And now they call this street 14 years later, the seventh street corridor. Right. But at that time we were part of Skid Row and we've done a lot of work in the local community. We have actually, our bar group has a, a nonprofit element that, uh, is very active with the downtown women's shelter down here. So, I mean, we've helped change the downtown core, or, or at least try to do our part to help change the downtown core for the positive. I mean, not it's not just about opening businesses and being mm-hmm. blind to the reality of, you know, the human experience. But we've tried to make this area better, and it's a completely different place mm-hmm. than it was 14 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been revitalized, and we've... Uh, been trying to help people feel more comfortable with that yeah. the entire time. No, that's cool. With whiskey, love. Yeah. So this is the 21 year. What are the variances of casks that go into this beautiful uh, So this one, it's um, the help of uh, you guys out here in America. So it's four years air-seasoned um, Quercus Alba. Um, and, uh, yeah, just beautiful... American oak, but it's been toasted as opposed to to charred. Um, oh, so you took the used bourbon casks and and toasted them, which so this is actually uh, finished in new wood, or part of oh. it is finished in new new American oak that's been uh, air dried as opposed to um, uh, kiln dried and uh, not ex. There's an element that's ex bourbon, but uh, it's all about the sort of freshness and beauty of. And by toasting it as opposed to charring it, you're like, you're pulling the sugars of the wood closer to the surface, but you're not really caramelizing them as mm. much as you do in, in a charred barrel. What other flavor aspects are you going after when you just use a toasted barrel as opposed to a charred oak barrel? So, so when I'm toasting a cask, what I love is um, this beautiful sort of patisserie, um, sort of fresh bread notes that you get out toast um, yeah toastiness but also like a croissant or um yeah like pastries if you go into uh, in paris or whatever in france and you go into the bakery shop it's all those things that you're looking for uh, when it comes to to new wood uh, that's toasted as opposed to charred uh, wow. in particular but, uh, that is intense. That has uh, got a lot going on. The nuttiness comes through so strongly on this mm-hmm. one. Like uh, I'm getting that cashew butter. I'm also getting like a baguette. I want to say it's like uh, cashew butter with a baguette and then some like Nutella syrup on there too. I mean, uh, like some <laughs> kind of chocolate. I love your description of cashew. So do you love cashew nuts? No, but I, I get those one. often in sherry casks. Right. Like cashew comes across for me often in sherry casks, mm-hmm. but this is very pronounced on this. It's mm-hmm. really good. I, I mean, I'm not that infatuated with cashews. In fact, I, I don't eat nut butters that often, mm-hmm. but I'm familiar with the smells of them, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. That 21-year is exquisite. How much would that run me if I could get my hands on a bottle? And is it pretty hard to find? Uh, so um, you can find the 21-year-old uh, time variant in um, travel retail for about £150. Wow. So uh, round about Expensive that. Expensive for us. Wow, great stuff. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy tour of the States. Where else are you going here on the West Coast? Uh, so down to, or up, sorry, up to um, San Francisco um, later on. But They love their whiskey yeah. up there. You're going to have a good time. Yeah. And then uh, anywhere else in the States before you have to head back? No, then head back and then... Uh, Christmas season. They don't have you going over to China and like talking to people over there? Uh, not, not, not this trip. You should. <laughs> they, you're going to make a billion dollars yeah. over in China. They love Jura over there. It's yeah. amazing. Like That's cool. Yeah. But listen, cool thank you so much for, for having us on and uh, it's you know it's a big thing for for us, particularly at Jura. I mean, we're a small, small island, but uh, hopefully we can reach as many people as possible yeah, well, uh, with our bubbles. If, if we're going to come do a tour, you <laughs> You guys do public tours, right? Like, if I make it to the Isle of Jura, I can come yeah, do a tour? Yeah, uh, give me a shout. And do you guys have, is there, a, like, an inn at the Isle of Jura? Or do people usually do day trips? Can, like, people go and stay on yeah, the island and go yeah. visit the distillery? No, where, where do they stay? Uh, at, there's at the pub. Or there's, like, the, a bed and breakfast the, at the pub? The hotel. <laughs> That's, like, the one spot? Yeah. That is rad. Yeah. That is super so. rad. Is there a chance to go run with the deer? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Do people do that? Do they have deer tipping out there? Uh, you could be the first. <laughs> you ever try to sneak up on a deer in the dark? Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to admit it. It's cool, man. It was great to have you in. What a wonderful thing, man! Bracken. Thank you so much no, for taking time for out of your day. Great yeah. glass, master distiller from the Jura Single Malt. Really wonderful having you in. This is beautiful, beautiful juice, and I hope we get people excited a little bit more about the uh, Jura Single Malt. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to this 21. Wow. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. Remember.